Welcome into the Wednesday Bible Study. We are thankful that you are here, whether you are watching this live uh, or you're watching it or listening to it on an archive. Uh, my name is Rick Burgess. Uh, you have joined us for the Wednesday Bible Study live from the Rick and Bubba Studios. Uh, I'm co-host of the Rick and Bubba Show. That's my day job during the week. You can find out all about that by going to rickandbubba.com. But this Wednesday Bible Study, it started uh, almost a decade ago. Uh, we're approaching our 10th uh, uh, anniversary coming up in September. Uh, and it, and just as, uh, you know, a, a Bible study from the local church. And it has uh, continued to build uh, into now a men's discipleship strategy that is going on all over the country, 700-plus uh, churches. Uh, it, it's a strategy that consists of high challenge, which men's ministry has been doing for a long time. There's been some great movements of that, Promise Keepers and all that, and incredible conferences that are out there, and we love that. We participate in that. We even last year did our, our, our first ever own conference. Uh, but the thing that we really concentrate on that has been missing is the high equipping or the discipleship part of men's uh, ministry, and that is reaching and discipling and growing men from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity uh, through our curriculum. Uh, we have four uh, curricula now. Our fifth one is actually being produced as we speak. It'll be out in 2024. We also have individual resources for men to grow up spiritually. Uh, some of those devotionals can be found uh, along with our curriculum there at themanchurch.com. And that's who brings you this Bible study, themanchurch.com. Uh, many people ask, how can I find a church near me that is doing uh, the strategy from themanchurch.com, and that is a great question. Uh, one of the best ways to do it is to simply find uh, a service, a man church service. That's the high challenge part of our strategy. That's where that's where our speakers are going out, or maybe that church has gone out and got their own speakers. But there are services and events designed just for men, and you receive a message, uh, and you have some praise and worship, uh, men all together, which is a beautiful sound if you've never heard that. Uh, and then you come out of those services and then back into the small groups. That's the equipping. And if you kind of picture a clock, uh, top of the hour, quarter hours, and the bottom of the hour. At the top and the quarters and the bottom, you have services, high challenge, or events, high challenge. And then in between those is 10 weeks or so of our curriculum. It's not always laid out that way, but that's the original design. But you do 40 weeks out of the 52 weeks in one of our curriculum, and that's the small group equipping. So if you'd like to find out where some of these man churches are going on, we got five of them going on this weekend, and four of them are kicking off the strategy. So that means you could plug right in at the beginning. Uh, the one that's not kicking it off is uh, coming up on Saturday. That's West Mobile Baptist Church. They've been at it a while now. Uh, they're in their second year. This is their next gathering, and they'll get back into the small groups. Tim Ashley from our team will be there this Saturday. Uh, coming up uh, on the 19th in Westville, Florida, they're kicking it off at Hickory Hill Baptist Church. Brian Gunn will be there from our team. And then on the 20th, we have three different markets. Uh, Todd Jones will be in Heflin, Alabama at East Heflin Baptist Church on Sunday night, kicking off the strategy. I'll be in Indian Springs, Alabama at Indian Springs Baptist Church, kicking it off on Sunday night. And then Tony Cooper from our team will be in Flintville, Tennessee at Stewart's Chapel Baptist Church, and he'll be kicking it off there. Looking ahead to the rest of August, on the 23rd of August, I'll be at Parkview Baptist Church. They'll be kicking it off. It's at the very top of Alabama, northern Alabama, Tuscumbia, Alabama. And then uh, over in Tennessee, Union City, Tennessee, on the 31st of August, that's a Thursday night, Lee Moore will be there at Calvary Baptist Church kicking it off. So all of those are available, but there's others. If, if it's been booked, 
for the rest of the year, it's there, and even into 2024, uh, go to themanchurch.com under events and find out everything that you need to know. And then you can go there also and look at our curriculum, our resources, and also contact us if we can help you in any way to plug this in in your community or your church. We are currently in a Bible study from the Revelation. Today we're in chapter 18. Uh, If you'll turn there, we'll pray and get started. Lord, thank you for today. Uh, May your Holy Spirit guide us as we move through these futuristic uh, events, these things you're showing us in the future. Help us to not only see that, but at the same time, as always, apply it to what we're dealing with right now. Because we're we're in the middle of the birth pangs uh, of the end. We're, We're not to the end, but we certainly see it approaching. And we're seeing the things that you told us to look for. Uh, In your holy name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's talk about Revelation 18. We we talked about the fall of of the fake church, and and we talked about uh, the the, the fall of of the the empire uh, that the Antichrist um, you know, is, is, has created. We said that it'll be the, the greatest and most powerful human empire of all time. So when we get into 18, throughout history, uh, the, these, these petty kingdoms and, and empires uh, have been built by proud, arrogant, God-rejecting rebels uh, who have come and gone. We have seen them throughout time, and it's, it's no surprise that the original fall of mankind uh, you know, was 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 led by the ultimate rebel uh, uh, who who rebelled against God, and that's Lucifer, who became Satan and became the devil when he led this rebellion against God. So all these people are are you know what we have people you know when those of us that are redeemed, uh, we are called to be Christ-like. Uh, we are, we we take on a new identity in Christ. Well, those that are unrepentant are unredeemed. They take on the characteristics of Satan. Uh, and, and we have seen that throughout time as these petty kingdoms and empires have come and gone. And, and what we're dealing with now, what, what we're moving toward, and you see it in our world right now. You see it in your current society, okay? And it's at different degrees based on where in the world you live. We, we are doing this show from the United States of America, so uh, we'll, we'll look at how our society looks right now. You're, what you're seeing is you're seeing an attempt, and this is not new, for science to replace God. Now remember, science when it when we first started studying science, most of the early scientists, they were God-fearing people. And they were looking for in science for God to reveal to them how he did all this. God revealing himself in science. Well then science took a turn and now science is replacing God, and, and it's being used now to say there is no God. And, and so what, what the hope is is that humans will evolve into a place that will bring this utopia that humans can pull off, which is ridiculous. And, and, and we, we, what's one of the things that, that's part of this humanistic utopia? Come on now, we've outgrown this belief in God, haven't we? Now this is silly. Uh, we we have evolved past believing in God. We're so intelligent. We're so smart, and we've established all these things. and And, and what happens is the worship of self, which is the fastest growing 
religion that we have right now. And then you have these things like the, the, the climate cult, you know, and, and the, the cult of worshiping animals and, and creation. And we turn from the creator as if we created all this, or we're just part of this creation. And we're the, we're the highest level of creation, which gives us a little bit of arrogance and pride, but we reject that we were created as if we evolved into this role and we think we've outgrown God and and uh, and we start thinking what ultimately if you're looking right now what's going on it's humanism but isn't it interesting see this shows you how th- th- there's no consistency in our when our emotions begin to take over our fear of God when when we're guided by our heart which the bible says not to be think how silly it is on one hand human beings believe that humans should be worshiped and on the other end of the spectrum but kill them in the womb they're of ultimate value but at the same time they're of no value well you know what i want to say to the world make up your mind uh, are are human beings valuable or not well yes we we should be worshiped but what about if i if my if i didn't have do I, do I get access to life at all no not if we don't want you so but isn't that a big deal? Oh, no, it's no big deal. It's just terminating a pregnancy. Wait a minute. I thought human life was to be worshipped, but not there. You see how inconsistent all that is? It's not even consistent. Uh, so you would think if human beings are to be worshipped, we would protect them. But we don't. But what's happened is human life has actually been devalued as if it's no big deal. And so there's not even consistency in this because it's not of God. So the unrepented sinner will get to the point where they have no use for God. And I think we're already there. And what is it? We replace him with these self-styled gods, and, and, and then we take these gods that we created, and we also give them their own sovereignty. We give them their power. And, and you see this. And, and, uh, but, but here's the thing that, that, that human beings always underestimate, and they're going to do it again. They think that God can easily be replaced, and he just can't. He's not going to sit by and just let that go. I love in the, in the Old Testament when, when God is saying to, to these prophets that he's giving these prophetic messages to, these warnings to the people, and I love when God says this to Isaiah, he says it to Jeremiah, do they not know that I see what they're doing? Do they think as they blaspheme me, I don't know about this? That somehow they're sneaking around, uh, you know, and he, they use the term, you know, the unfaithful bride going after these idols, the the things they're doing in the temple, the 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 things they built to these idols. They think I don't know all this, and so God will not be easily replaced. Uh, you know, a very profound but brief statement. Uh, it actually is found in the book of Acts. Write this down: Acts fourteen sixteen. Listen to the control of God. And, and this is one of the things I know. I'm not going to get in some theological debate today. That's not going to happen because I think we all can just look at this scripture and go, well, I can't, I can't get around that. And you're going to see that God is sovereign, no question about that. There's no arguing that out of scripture. Uh, and he is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. Uh, and he is in complete control. But he does allow us to make choices. See, that's the part that's often missed. Now, who are you to say that you can? No, I didn't say that at all. I said God allows it. I can't even get out of the Garden of Eden where he, that he's not already allowed a choice. But listen to what the book of Acts says. In past generations, he's saying, and Luke is saying, let's look at God's resume. 
in past generations, he allowed, I would underline, underline that, all the nations to walk in their own ways. He allowed it. L- let's see. And you know, I'll tell you this. One of the most terrifying and horrific things that God could ever do to you and me is to give us exactly what we're asked for. Give me what I want. That's the worst thing you could ever do. Because the things we want are flawed, and the things we want usually lead to our own destruction. And sometimes we just tell God we don't want you. Go, go back go back to when, they, when, when, when his, his people said, look, thank you for taking us out of Egypt. We appreciate that very much. Uh, and he says, so I will now be your king. And they're like, no, nope, we don't want that. We, we don't want you. We want to have an earthly king, what? Just like everybody else. And I love that Samuel comes in and says, now God has told me to tell you what's going to happen if you take on an earthly king. He's going to take your kids from you. He's going to take your money from you. He's going to send you, your sons off to war. He's going to make some of you make your daughters his servants. He, he gives these horrible things. This is what he's going to do. You know what the people said? We still want one. So he even loves us enough to say, now let me tell you how this is going to go. And what do we say? We just don't quite trust you enough. You, some, we, some of us to the point we, that we rejected him altogether. But then there's others that maybe even be more nauseating to him. We want you, but you're not going to be Lord over everything. You're going to be lowered over some things. I'll come get you when I need something from you. I think that's more nauseating to him than you just completely rejecting him. At least that's consistent. So now you're wrong. So look, look what uh, what happens to to Psalms. Let's look at the psalmist in Psalms two. If you got that right in the middle of the Bible, go to Psalms, um, uh, the second Psalm there. And I love this um, when we have this 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 great great phrase talking about God verses two through four. Look at this. When we want to do our own thing, when we want to build all these earthly kingdoms, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. We don't want you telling us what to do. And look at four. He sits in the heavens and laughs. Do you realize how ridiculous we look compared to God. How 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 he he laughs at the notion that we're going to break our bonds with him and do our own thing. He he'll he'll not be so easily replaced. God's reaction to the fury against him, laughter. Laughter. How silly the created thumbing their nose at the Creator. From the beginning to the end, the Bible warns of the coming judgment on sinners who reject God and blaspheme His holy name. Look what Job said. Job 21.30, The wicked is reserved for the day of calamity. They will be led forth at the day of fury. The wicked is reserved for the day of calamity. They will be led forth at the day of fury. And here we are in the Revelation getting there. Psalms again, this one, Psalms 9, 7, and 8. The Lord has established his throne for judgment, and he will judge the world in righteousness. It's coming. I'm working on something that we've been talking about in this, and I always give you guys in here, and the 
however many of y'all are out there, so you know things before anybody else knows. So we got the new curriculum coming out. We're going to be working on that for next year, and that's off the transformation devotion, but we'll go deeper now and go 40 weeks on, on the concept of transformation. But next year will be another 31-day devotional that will come out now. And you know what? You guys in this room, our Bible study has given us the, the devotion. You know what it's going to be called? Sin Always Matters. Amen. That's going to be the title of it. And, and, and you know what I'm going to start out with? Day one, Psalms 5. God hates sin. And guess what else he hates? The unrepentant sinner. You ever heard that? Hey, man, God, God hates sin, but he loves a sinner. No, he doesn't. God loves the repentant, those who repent. If you don't repent, God hates you. And he says that in his own word. So that'll be day one. And then, and then, and then, and then we'll roll from there because we're going to have to come off, like I said a thousand times, when you look at the br- brutality of the cross, you got to look at two things. Thank you for being a merciful God, and thank you, Lord Jesus, for being obedient to your Father and saying you will fulfill his will, and you went to the cross resolute because he, he said that's what he wanted is for us to have a chance at redemption and for us to be redeemed. But when you see how bad he was beat, the thorn, the thorn on his head, of uh, the crown of thorns with the blood pouring down, he's beaten to the point that he's dehydrated, he's almost bled to death, he can't even carry the beam of the cross, somebody's got to help him, he's almost dead when he gets up there, he's so grotesque to look at him, he's been beaten so bad, he's hardly recognizable, then they hang him there until he suffocates in grueling agony, and we say, look how merciful God is, and yes, we should say, that but what we can't seem to do is also look at that and go look how serious god takes sin look how serious he takes sin and we just think sin's no big deal we're just so flippant about it god hates it he hates it and those who continue to say i will not repent will face his fury and they will face his wrath What I would highly suggest, if you haven't done it, is for you to repent and for you to say God's wrath has already been poured out on his son, so I want to belong to him. That way the wrath has been been handled. It's been appeased. It's been averted. But if you don't do that, then it's coming on you. He can't change his character. He's holy, holy, holy. So the false world religion will be destroyed and now worship of the Antichrist is, is all that's allowed. God's destruction of commercial Babylon is the focus of 18. So we've taken out the false church. Now the commercial empire that, that has been created, the new Babylon, this will be, and this was, uh, I think this, this quote here from the commentaries, I think this one came from John MacArthur, which was a great one. He says, what you're about to see in 18 is the funeral for humanity. If you're unrepentant, here comes your funeral. And, uh, and the destruction of Satan's last and greatest human empire, setting the stage for the final coming of Jesus Christ. Amen. Babylon has had plenty of warnings. Don't you love that about God? He warns and he warns and he warns. I, you know, remember we studied Genesis? He didn't build. He didn't tell, you, you don't think God had the power to build the ark in a week if he wanted to? But he didn't. 120 years. What does that mean? 120 years of that evil society walking by asking Noah, what is he doing? God's wrath is coming. 120 years. 
So it, you know, and, and now Babylon has had been warned and warned and warned, but still has rejected God, and they have refused to repent, and we've read that. This is likely an actual city, uh, and we're going to get there's we, we won't get them all in today because we're not going to get all of eighteen in. There's going to be seven aspects of the judgment on the Antichrist uh, commercial empire. We'll get through some of those today, but let's do the first one uh, in verses one through three. And one of the seven aspects we're going to see is is God always as He always does. The first thing we're going to see is the judgment will be pronounced. Here it comes. He's going to pronounce what's coming in verses 1 through 3. So let's read those. Uh, After I saw another angel, we've been trained on that throughout the Revelation. That means this is a new message. This is something new that's happened. After this, which we studied in 17, after this I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory, and he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen! Fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living." Two reasons are given for the judgment. Okay, first of all, pervasive demonic activity. And what else? This thing we, we were talking about, We Sherry, my wife and I have a, a Sunday school class that we teach, and we just did something on Proverbs. And Sherry made a great point. When you look at Proverbs, you, and it's about wisdom, and it's one of the books of wisdom in, in the Bible, and, and when you look at Proverbs, you see that the warning is coming because it's all about what you need to do and not do to be wise. Okay. And one of the things that is just preached over and over and over again in Proverbs, if you want to be wise, be sexually pure. Don't participate in adultery. Don't participate in fornication. Don't participate in homosexuality. Be sexually pure. If you can't be sexually pure, you'll never have wisdom. And so look at this. So demonic activity is one of the reasons, but look what the next one is. Wretched sensuality, sexual immorality. So it's bringing, think about what even the Apostle Paul tells us. All the other sins take place outside the body, but sexual sin takes place with the body. He even said, if you're, if you're, if you're the temple of God and you go and lay with a prostitute, you're taking Jesus you're taking the Holy Spirit and you're joining him in sexual morality with a prostitute. And that's why he says, I got all kinds of things to say about all the other sins. When I talk about sexual morality, I say flee. Just turn and go the other way. Just turn and go the other way. You ain't never going to win. As long as you've got that flesh suit on you, you just need to stay away from that. And so God's judgment is coming down because you see one of the indicators of demonic activity being out of control and a completely depraved society, Romans chapter 1, one of the markers is what? Sexual deviancy. Sexual immorality of every kind. That's always a marker of rampant demonic activity, and it always brings the judgment of God if it's unrepentant and it goes unchecked. Well, 
modern-day Babylon, it's unchecked. Uh, and so after these things, the beginning of a new vision, he saw another angel. This is distinct from chapter 17. It's not the same angel. Now, some people say that this is Jesus, but it's not. That does not stand up because of that word we've learned, alos in Greek. That means another of the same kind. Okay. It, it, now, if he was going to say uh, heteros, that would be it. W- it would be another of a different kind. But that's not the word that's used here. The, er- the word that he uses is alos, which means John sees a vision. He says, "I'm seeing another angel, just like the one I saw in 17." Okay. So, so th- this is not Jesus. Um, could be the return from the one back in 14. Some commentaries say that. John Phillips took that on, too. He said, you know, if you go back to chapter 14 of the Revelation in verse 8, uh, you remember there was an angel that, what, predicted Babylon's downfall. Might be this angel. That angel may be back. Uh, so three things uh, about the angel's uh, unusual power and importance. A, John says this angel came down from heaven with great authority. So that means this is an angel that just left the presence of God to act on God's behalf. He makes that clear. That's why this angel is special. Another, you you read that, the earth was illuminated with his glory. I mean, can you imagine the contrast of of the new, completely sin-ridden Babylon, how dark and ugly, because, you know, we're having the, the bowls being poured out. So this place has gone completely dark. And all of a sudden, boom, you've got an angel that comes out of heaven that illuminates the entire earth. Can you imagine that contrast when you see that uh, from the darkness that was Babylon? And then, of course, see, it says that he cried with a mighty voice. It, that means this voice that this angel had was impossible to ignore. Um, you've heard me talk about my dad before. You know, you ever heard there's some people that when they speak up, you might not respond. Then there's some people when they speak, you always look. And my dad had one of those voices. When when he spoke, you you you, there was no doubt that somebody was speaking. Well, this angel has a kind of voice that n- there's no doubt uh, that he has authority. Now, this is what's proclaimed about Babylon by the angel: "Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great." The judgment, which an angel may not have been this one, but an angel had already predicted and told us was coming when we were moving chronologically in in fourteen eight. This this judgment that has been predicted by the angel, now we're seeing it actually happening. That is this judgment that was talked about in 14. So the first cause of the judgment, she has become a dwelling place for demons and a prison of every unclean spirit. You see that listed in the verses. Those are demons. When the word haunt here that's in the English Standard Version, your Bible may say something different. What this word means is a place, okay? So when it says it's a place for every unclean spirit, it's a place for every unclean bird, and we'll talk about that. It's a place for every unclean, detestable beast. That's what that means, okay? And and so that, that makes that God is gathering all those that he's going to destroy. It means he's bringing it in. Now, when you see this about, about birds, you're like, what, what is he talking about? Uh, really what this, this looks like, when anytime, and you'll see this when we get to, the, to Armageddon, when we get to Ar- Armageddon, what gathers for the, for the destruction to, to dine on all the death? These, these birds. Birds that clean everything up. So this is that. He said, this, what's about to happen to Babylon is so bad the birds are circling. They're getting ready to clean up all the mess. 
So that that's this again. So that and then then when he says these these demons unclean and detestable, that means that that, that according uh, you know c- compared to heaven, these demons will be the worst of the worst. And then in verse three, the world is going to fall into religious materialistic stupor. There'll be so much wealth, so much money. Uh, it will influence all the nations. It says all the kings will be seduced by Babylon. And, of course, the analogy here again is for a woman drawing you into trouble. Uh, when they see the riches and the materialism of Babylon, I mean, do you remember when, when you, if you remember the Queen of Sheba, when she finally came to see Solomon? Does everybody remember that from Scripture? And she thought she was pretty wealthy, and, and she almost was embarrassed when she saw how wealthy Solomon was compared to her, and everything she heard about Solomon was even more incredible than she'd even heard. And, well, that's what these nations will look to Babylon and go, we all got to be there. And see, this is what God just gathering everybody together for destruction. We got it. We're so envious. We're seduced. And, and look at human nature. Huh? You realize we, we have TV shows. They have no other purpose than to show you wealthy people. Why? So you can envy them. Now, there most of them are miserable people who couldn't find peace and happiness if their life depended on it, right? But and think about the lottery. I love. Do y'all remember when we studied? Um, one, there's been a couple of Bible studies we've had in here that the men said, "I just don't know how much longer I can take this one. This this one this one is so difficult." And if you remember, one of them was the Spirit of the Disciplines uh, with Dallas Willard. I've had, more of you were just going, "Rick, how much longer? How much longer will Dallas Willard?" I, I, we, I mean, we, we have to keep turning the page back, and you know, he he's a deep fella. But anyway, one of the things he said is what he said: when you get into people who love money, we always blame rich people for that. He goes, "That's not true." He said, "Some of the greediest people I know are poor people." All they think about is how they, how they can become rich. Being poor is not that doesn't make you better than anybody else. So, so how about some of the worst human beings I know are poor, and 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 they're some of the most greedy, materialistic people because they always want to find some way to win that lottery or to whatever so they can make money for doing nothing so they can live like all the people they envy. And uh, and so, but but yeah, can wealthy people be arrogant? Of course they can. Can they be materialistic? Of course they can. But it it ain't just it ain't just rich people. And uh, and so what he's saying, this will be we'll be drawn to that, and in your human nature, let's admit we already are. You realize that sometimes we give people a pass just because they're wealthy, right? They're celebrity. They they make a lot of money. You know, I mean, look look at what we got what we got on, going on right now. But it's never enough. I don't know what's going on with this Michael Orr and the Tui family, but this is weird. Now Michael now Michael Moore, Michael Orr wants to. He wants $15 million from the people that helped raise him because he says now that they, they're, they're evil. And how, I mean, he made $30 million playing the NFL. See, it's never, it's never enough. And then what, what usually what, – how many relationships do you all know that were ruined by money? I remember one time watching my mother talking about that uh, a family member of ours that helped raise her died. Not a wealthy person at all. And my mother came home upset. She said, I finally had to leave. She goes, I'm watching the family be torn apart by $1,200 in her checking account. Twelve hundred bucks. I mean, so so this is not something that's new to human nature. And if you don't think it's not going to be used to bring people to their death, then then you're not thinking clearly. Satan's been using this, and he's going to use it again. The unregenerated uh, people will lust for Babylon passionately, and and how about this? They'll be willing to commit any kind of nothing will be off the table. They will commit. 
things of spiritual immorality with her, and there'll be nothing they will consider over the line. So the world is beginning, and, and they're going to cash in on Babylon's financial prosperity. That's also why false teachers always go in and pray on the poor. Those health, wealth, and prosperity pastors, they love to manipulate poor people. If you'll just send me a little more money, or you, you must not have enough faith. I'm sorry it hasn't happened yet. God's going to make you rich. He wants you to be rich. I literally heard a false teacher, and I'm not going to say who it is because I know it may upset some of you, literally heard it with my own ears. He said he never prays that God's will will be done. Now I want you all to realize, who taught us to pray that? Jesus. Say his name. Jesus. So he's not going to pray the way Jesus said for us to pray? Because he said, I already know that God's will is that these people be healed. So there's no need to say God's will be done. Or somewhere, Paul, who can't get a, a thorn out of his flesh, is going, I wish this guy had been around when I was praying. <laughs> you know what? Uh, I mean, so so what is this idiot talking about? Okay. Do you realize, do, who thinks we should be cautious of a teacher that says he won't pray the way Jesus said to pray? Yeah, I think I would watch out for that guy. Okay. Now, I know he says a lot of things that probably make you feel good, but that's I, you got to look for that kind of stuff. And what, about, what am I screaming during the study? You got to know the word of God now more than ever. Because what if you didn't know Jesus said that we're to pray that God's will be done? What if you didn't know that? Well, then you hear that statement and go, well, okay, that makes a lot of sense. But see, you wouldn't know. But is can you make an excuse that you didn't know? You really can't because the Word of God's been around how long now? Okay, so, so anyway, so you'll be without excuse. If you don't go get it, it's not because it's not there. So self-control will be completely abandoned. What's one of the things... That Peter tells us, and by the way, it's in Man Church Curriculum number four, impact. What does Peter tell us to add to our faith so we will not fall and we will be fruitful? He said, because even though you've been redeemed, you still have a sin nature and you're still living in a world that has a sin nature. So be sure you supplement these things to your faith so you'll be fruitful and you won't fall. And guess what's on the list? Self-control. I struggle with that. I had somebody ask me the other day, said, why did you, why do you have a personal trainer? I said, cause I'm not disciplined enough not to have one. That's why I, I have to have accountability. You know what I say? If I'm on the rower, ah, that's good. But you know what the trainer says? I said, that wouldn't been good if I'd been there. Uh, we'd have gone two more minutes, but you know what I say? Ah, good enough. So I'm not, I know, I know where I like disciplines. You know what I do? I fill in people to help me. So I'll be more disciplined. I'm not delusional about my downfalls, and it'd be, it'd be good if you wouldn't be. So self-control will be completely abandoned, and the unrepentant sinners will indulge in a wild materialistic orgy. They will be partying, I mean partying until the destruction overwhelms them. They literally will be having a party when God's wrath takes them out. You, you've heard the old analogy? If you're going to dance, sooner or later, you got to pay the fiddler. Okay, and uh, and and that 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 is coming. So now the next thing we talk about in here, in one of the the principles that we see in Revelation 18 verses four and five, is judgment avoided. Judgment avoided. 
this is another voice. Look, look what it's saying in, in 4 and 5. Then I heard another voice, that's Alos again, so another of the same kind, from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins. Now, this, this is really the focus for us today. So, so if, if you're dozing off or whatever, wake up. Wake up. Because this right here is going to apply to you and me right now. See, you're probably saying, well, I ain't going to be in Babylon when, when the angel comes down and all the birds start gathering. True, but you are part of the church right now. Is that correct? Okay, well, this message is for the church. Okay, so, so listen to this. So stay with me. Don't leave me. Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins. What are they saying? Hey, separate yourself from the unrepented. Separate yourself from that world, okay? Lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her, her iniquities. God has remembered it. So come out, my people disentangle yourselves from worldliness and abandon the world system. Don't start looking for the world to replace me. Okay? Isaiah 48.20 said, remember that that was a warning the people had then, flee from the Chaldeans. Jeremiah 58.51.6, same message. Hey, these pagans out there, look, they God's people said, don't even marry these pagans. You better separate yourself from the pagans of the world. If not, when God's judgment comes down, you're going to pay the price with them because they're going to lead you away from God. How many times do we see this happen? And, you know, you see throughout the Old Testament, you know, there, you can't find a good king to save your life. There's only a handful of them. Uh, you know, as a matter of fact, Israel never has one. Judah has a handful of them. But what did you see for the very few good kings? And there were very few of them. What's the one thing you saw? There were some that were pretty good, but what made them pretty good versus great? They got rid of most of the paganism, but they didn't go to the high places. Still had idol worship going on up there, and they, they took care of what was close to them, but there was places in the kingdom where, they, in case we need those idols, they're still there. The good king said, go up to the high places and tear all that down too. And so what, what he's saying is this warning has been with us throughout Scripture, and, and, and if you have uh, your, your, your Bible, look at Romans, the great book of Romans. Just flip over there real quick. Romans chapter 12, and this is familiar verse, uh, verses, uh, verse 2. Look at this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So remember, I told you there's a there's a there is a there's a Bible pre, uh, translation out there right now called the Passion Bible, which you don't need to have anything to do with. Somebody gives you one of those, throw it in the trash. Okay. Well, the guy who's been translating that says Jesus is coming to see him personally and give him spiritual downloads. Do you know what he says? He says what I decided to do is to bypass the mind and go straight to the heart. Hmm. So Romans chapter 2 says, not, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And what does the Bible say about the heart? It's deceitful above all things. So what somebody said is, I'm going to give you an emotional version of the Bible. And I've got some downloads from Jesus. I'm sure that's true. Uh, and, uh, and, and so I'm putting together kind of a feel-good Bible that you may really find to be, it's probably going to play to your emotions. You'll really dig it. 
Do y'all realize how, do you not, not see the rise of false teaching, false prophets right now? It is through the roof. I just interviewed one in the podcast uh, for the Rick and Bubba show just this week. I mean, the guy was saying things that just violate scripture. And I, I, I nearly had a conniption during this interview. And uh, I love one guy emailed me. I, I told him, I said, I, I, I have been in trouble before for being not prepared. That's been pretty much my, a lot of my life and all of my educational experience. Okay. <laughs> As my wife said, I said, I found tests to be hard. She goes, well, Rick, all tests are hard you don't prepare for. Okay? And, uh, but anyway, this guy got on me because I was too prepared. Well, you could tell you'd read his book. You were ready to attack. Well, yeah, I was. I mean, so am I in trouble for being prepared? I mean, I, now that's one thing that hadn't, there's never been said to me before in my entire life. So I told him, I said, I'll give you this. That's a unique complaint. I've never had that one before. Well, you were ready to pounce. You better believe I was. I, I, I wasn't going to let this false teacher get away with this garbage. Okay, so so anyway, but what if I didn't know Scripture? I'd have read the book and said, that's a cool book. Right? Well, you, When he says things like, well, these things that are appearing to me, they must be angels, they must not be demons because they appear like lights. I said, have you ever read 2 Corinthians chapter 11? When Paul's talking about a lot of people out there claiming to be apostles, but they're not, they're fakes. As a matter of fact, since since Satan... Lucifer comes to us as an, pretending to be an angel of light, it shouldn't be surprising to us that his servants do the same thing. An orb knocked Paul off his horse? What? Paul was blinded by the glorified Christ. It wasn't an orb? And I don't who said he was on a horse? It says he was walking. What are you talking about? So anyway, um, I don't know why I'm even on this. I'm mad as I could be. But anyway, so this is not even part of the lesson. Anyway, the, the believers that are still in Babylon, because remember what? Some people are going to repent during the tribulation. So this message is to them, but it's also a message to us for modern day. Don't miss it because it's so crystal clear. He's saying you better not participate in the sins of Babylon. You better not participate in the sins of Babylon. If you do, the wrath that's coming is going to come on you too. They're going to drag you to your destruction. And you say, they can't take away my redemption, and that's true. But let me tell you what they can do. They sure can't take away your witness. And you'll answer for that when we stand before the Bema seat. Okay, they sure can't take away your witness. That, that's one of the things that, I mean, there are people right now that have had great falls because they didn't separate, them sins from, from the, the, they didn't separate from the sins of Babylon. They didn't do it. They participated in it. Have they been redeemed by Jesus? If they truly repented, they have. Have they been forgiven for what they did? If they've repented, they have. But you know what? No one wants to listen to them anymore. It's over. You have no credibility anymore. Sin always matters. Okay? And so so anyway, so he says, if you do that, you will not receive the plagues or the judgments. These are the bold, ju the bold judgments that are being handed out. Her sins are piled up. And look at this, and God remembers her sin, but how about this? But the redeemed, and this is beautiful, but for the redeemed, this is our hope, guys, but for the redeemed, God does not. For the unrepentant, he remembers their sin, but for the redeemed, he doesn't. Praise God for that, the grace and mercy. But you see how wonderful his grace and mercy is now that you're understanding his wrath a little more? 
See, if, if we keep preaching this big man upstairs, this folksy grandfather, he just loves you right where you are. If that's the God we keep preaching, no wonder nobody cares about grace. No one, no one takes it serious. No, one, no, no wonder no one wants to be holy. They don't think it matters. It matters. Okay? And, and so Isaiah 43, 25, Jeremiah 31, 34, and he says this, but for the defiant, now this was talking about the Babylon that's already been destroyed, but it's a foreshadowing to the new Babylon. Isaiah and Jeremiah were dealing with the current Babylon, and what did they say about it? But for the defiant, unrepented Babylon, there will be no forgiveness, only judgment. So if you don't repent, see, this gets back to that thing again. Well, you know, God's, God, God loves the sinner. No, he doesn't. He gives you access to his love if you repent. What did Jesus say? Repent or perish. Hey, hey, Peter, you finally got the Holy Spirit. Our hearts are cut. We don't know what to do. What do we do? Repent. Repent. If you're unrepentant, then he sees your sin, and he never doesn't see it, and he hates sin. So it is not true that God loves the unrepented sinner. That is not true. He can't. He's willing to if you repent. Then you'll be made fully righteous by Jesus, and then you have access to his love and his grace and his mercy. But if you don't do that, all you have access to is his justice and his wrath. You need to understand that. Sin always matters. This is a really big deal. So next, the judgment is defined, and this will be our last part we'll cover this week. Uh, This is verses 6 through 8, okay? Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. And she glorified herself and lived in luxury. So give her like a measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen. I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. Defiant Babylon. And you know what God says? We're going to pay her back. What does he mean by that? What does he mean? She glorified herself and lived uh, uh, in luxury, so give her like a measure of torment and mourning. You know what he's saying? I saw what you did to the saints. I saw what you did to my people, and I'm going to give you a double portion of what you did to them. I'm not going to let this go. Right? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And it is coming. You know what he says? It's okay. Hey, if you're out there, and you and, and, and I hope the people who have come against us, I hope they all repent. But the thing that breaks my heart about those who come against me, even people that I love, I want to say, I promise you, God's not going to let you get away with this. So repent. And then, then it's all good, right? So he said, I will, I will pay her double what she did when she martyred my saints. You martyred the saints. You had a little end zone dance. You celebrated. But let me tell you something. Your celebration, the way you were elated by the destruction of my saints and how you tortured them, how you brutally murdered them, that's coming back on you now. They're with me now, and I'm coming after you. Right? Remember what I said before about about how Satan and his demons, they know if they really want to hurt God, go after his children, his saints, his redeemed. Go after them. Now, I want you to think about if you have children and grandchildren, 
it's one thing for me to pick on you or to come after you, but what if I went after your children or your grandchildren? Ooh. Hell hath no fury, right? So so anyway, so God now will redeem his saints. Jeremiah 50, 29, it says, you know, very clearly, and you need to get this so you can rest at this. God controls retaliation. We don't. That's from Jeremiah. Jeremiah 50, 29. Write that down. God controls retaliation, not us. Double for her deeds, her punishment. Her punishment, this is the thing you're going to love. Whatever God does to the unrepented, they deserved. So whatever punishment they get, God was right. Okay? No matter what happens at the end, if we believe in a sovereign God, he did what was right. Double has been her iniquity, so double will be her punishment. What about the cup? We know what this is. It says, give her twice as much. Now, the cup is always representing in Scripture a cup of God's wrath. The cup she used for drunkenness, the cup she used to get drunk and do all these immoral things, he, that vow is going to come back, and she's going to get the same cup back. Look at, look at this, and you need to know this too. She's going to get that same the cup she's been getting drunk on. I mean, I am rich. I am wealthy. I am educated. I don't need God. I don't need his rules. I do whatever I want to do, whether that be physically, spiritually. I do whatever I want to do. I drink as much as I want to drink, and I get as drunk as I want to get. And God said, by the way, here's the cup back, but in it this time is my wrath. Take a drink of that. That's what you're going to drink now. And you're going to drink that just to, you're going to drink double what you drank to get drunk. You're going to have double the wrath in your cup. And it will be bitter, and it will be ugly. So the cup comes back, but with God's wrath. Seven, she lived in luxury and glorified herself. Think about that. We see that all the time, don't we? Do you ever kind of sometimes tilt your head at some of these award shows when you see these people that have made all this money and all this celebrity, they live lives that are completely paganistic and immoral, they're the ones they show the big screen about. They're the ones they show why they should get the big award. They're the one that gets the big award. Everything about them has been me, 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 me. And also they go, hey, man, I just want to say glory to God. And God's like, a little late for that. Does that just start now? Throughout this whole process, it's been glory to you. Just because you say glory to God doesn't mean you mean it. Do you live a life that says glory to God? Or do you live a life that says glory to me, but if you think it's appropriate to say glory to God, you know what that is? Think about how arrogant that is. If you haven't lived it, now if you lived it, it's consistent. If you haven't lived it, you know what you're doing again? You want people to like you, and that's the only reason why you're saying glory to God. It's still about you. You decided to give him glory on your terms, not his. And that's all about you. And so she glorified herself. And we know this from Isaiah 42, 8. Write that down, Isaiah 42, 8. Write it down, as Adrian Rogers would have said, write it big and write it bold. God will not share his glory. He will not do it with anyone or anything. He will not share it. The worst thing you can do is to elevate something in your life above God because he's not going to share it with them either or it either. She lived a life that was full of self-gratification, and those who do this are dead even while they live. Write down 1 Timothy 5, 6, 
This is, this is Paul preparing young Timothy uh, to take over as the pastor of the church uh, at Ephesus, and he's going to pick up the mantle of Paul's ministry, and he's telling him all the things he needs to know. And look at 1 Peter 5 and look at verse 6. This is beautiful. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. So think about what Scripture is telling you. You may be gratifying your flesh. You may be cramming yourself full of everything that the world has. I like the way it tastes. I like the way it makes me feel. It's all about me. Gratify, gratify, gratify. I deny myself nothing. I am living the life. You know what God says? No, you're dead. You're living death. You're not living life. You think you're alive, but you couldn't be more dead because it's all about self-gratification, not God-glorification. Write that down. That's important. So what's the third thing? She says, I sit as a queen, not a widow. Never, I'm never going to mourn. You know what she's saying? It's a sin that God broke me of. Don't miss this because you look at that and go, well, that sounds kind of lofty. Yeah, but you got to break it down to our own lives. It, it, it's something we, that we do struggle with. I know I did. And, it, it, hey, it was horrible how God had to break me of it. I wouldn't wish it on anybody, but I'm glad he did. He did that because he loved me because that's what needed to happen, being self-reliant. He broke me of that. You know what she's saying? I don't need God. I'm self-reliant. I don't need anything from you. I provide everything I need for myself. I can handle anything. She's overestimating her power, and she's underestimating God's power. And you know what God says? I will show you all these things you think in your power. I'll show you all these things you think you can avoid. You know what she's saying? I won't ever mourn. God said, oh, yes, you are. She's saying, I'm so in control, I'll keep bad things from happening to me. You ever been there? Somehow, there's got to be some way I can keep bad things from happening to me. Can I just give you a hint? You can't. What I would do is prepare for what you're going to cling to when bad things do happen. Remember we talked about Matthew 7, the wise man and the foolish man? Have you ever read the wise man part and think the storm didn't hit his house? It did. It just, it just stood. Both houses get hit by storms. Wind, floods, Right? And so, but see, when you're self-reliant and you're arrogant, you say, I can get through this, ha- th- this life, and my goal is always going to be happiness and pleasure and self-gratification. I really don't care about anything else, and I believe I can pull that off. I believe that I can maneuver through this fallen world, gratifying myself and avoiding all problems. And God says, oh, I'll show you differently on that. You think you're not going to mourn what you're about to see when I take this place apart? Oh, you'll mourn. And you're going to mourn when you're clinging to your life and you realize that you've made the mistake of opposing the one and only living God. You'll mourn. But see, she arrogantly thinks she, she won't. I will pour all these things on you, God says, with such overwhelming intensity. It will look silly to everybody else because you won't just be gradually destroyed I am so powerful, you will be instantly destroyed. You are no match for me. Stop fighting against God. 
he wins. Go ahead and do what he's called you to do because he'll do whatever he has to do to give you your best shot. You ever said that before? We can do this easy or we can do this hard, but we're going to end up the same place. Babylon will burn. The Lord who is strong has judged her. Here's what you have to know. Even though this great Babylon, and even right now, you see this in the times we're living in, these ridiculous nations, these ridiculous rulers, these ridiculous presidents, these ridiculous governments, they're a joke. They're a joke. That's one of the things in Proverbs 2 that, that says the, the kings, the governments, whatever, all this earthly authority, he said changing what's happening in their life today would be as easy for God as it would be for you and me to stick our finger in a, in a glass of sweet tea and just stir it. That's how pitiful the highest-ranking authorities in this earth are compared to God. He can move them like a finger and a glass of sweet tea. Or if you're in the north, unsweet. Okay? So no one can frustrate God's plans or keep him from accompanying what he purposes to do. He will not be stopped. And he's going to work this out with or without you or me. He doesn't need me. I need him, but he doesn't need me. And what he's saying is you can, back to the message he gave Jeremiah, when, when the Babylonians, the Chaldeans were coming down on Jerusalem, and I love this message. By the way, Isaiah 14, 27 talks about nobody can throw God off on his plan. If you want to write that down, Isaiah 14, 27. But in Jeremiah, I think it's 20, 21, somewhere in there, he says, Jeremiah, go tell my people this is a message of life or death. And then he says something that nobody wants to hear. By the way, my hand is against you. The Chaldeans, this Babylonian kingdom that's coming out, Nebuchadnezzar on his way in, I'm letting him come in. I'm bringing him. He couldn't touch y'all if I didn't let him. But I'm letting him because I'm at odds with you. This is my hand. I'm just using them, but I'm the one against you. And he said, now you tell the people they need to come out of Jerusalem and they need to, they need to go ahead and be taken prisoner by the Babylonians. That was the, that was the Babylonian in the past. And it's going to be the same thing, the new Babylon in the future. Because see, what's going to happen then? I'm going to let you be taken prisoner and you're going to suffer. But through that suffering, I'll turn you back to me. Now, if you decide to hunker down in Jerusalem, which represents your sin, if you decide to hunker down there and not repent and come out, then you're going to die with it. Same thing when Babylon returns. You can repent and separate yourself, even right now, from modern-day Babylon, the paganistic system of the world, or you can stay with it, and you can cling to it and reject me, and you'll die with it. Because I got news for you, brothers and sisters who may be watching, listening. This is going away. This is not heaven. And if you continue to try to turn this into some sort of self-gratifying heaven, you may think you're living, but you're nothing but dead. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the message. 
Thank you for the conviction. Thank you for the clarity. I pray, Lord, if there's anybody in this room or anybody watching and listening, that it, maybe they're, they're still clinging to this self-gratifying world and they have not repented and turned from their sin and turned to you, that this will be the day they do it. All you're looking for is a, is a repentant heart. That's it. I repent. I turn from my sin. I do want you to be able to love me. I do want you to be able to approve of me. I do want you to forgive me. Well, just say, Lord, forgive me. I don't want to be under my own kingdom. I want to come under your authority. Okay, well, confess him as Lord. Leave faith in yourself, put your faith in him. He said, if I, if I hear that repentant heart, that sincerity, I'll forgive you. I'll redeem you, and I'll make you fully righteous with the blood that my son shed for you. And as Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way. Don't believe the garbage of, of Babylon. There is no other way. Jesus is the way. And if today's that day for you and you need some help, I'll help you. Just rick at burgessministries.com. If today's your day and you're in this room, come see me when we're done. Lord, thank you for this message. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Thanks a lot.